It is good to be back with you all again. It's been a long time since I have been here. I've had the opportunity to speak in uh, retreats. Uh, how many of you have actually been in some of the retreats that I've spoken in? Oh, good, not that many. Okay, so this won't be a repeat for some of you. Uh, I've also been able to uh, have the privilege of preaching here, of uh, sharing in Sunday school, and um, seeing a lot of folks in uh, personal counseling or relationship counseling as well. I've got some handouts that I would like some help in distributing, so if you would mind. The way this is set up is they have asked us, uh, I'm here one time, and my topic is on hindrances in closeness. And... Um, I think the topic is different the way that it was announced in the bulletin. What is it announced in the bulletin? Do you remember? It doesn't matter. I'm talking on hindrances. Managing distractions and barriers to closeness. Well, that's close. Um, I'm doing uh, hindrances to closeness, and we have been given a challenge to give a uh, homily on Ephesians um, 5, 21 through 33, and then for 10 minutes, <clears throat> and then a section on uh, the talk itself, which would be hindrances to closeness for me, and then 10 minutes for uh, question and answers. Uh, you can ask questions as you want to, um, it's not likely that I'm going to cover all of this and I had not planned to. I'm just showing you some things that we would ordinarily go over in this kind of talk. And what I would plan to do originally was to go over the text. Um, but... Given the practical nature of the subject and the class, what I think I'll do, my personality type changes stuff, okay? <laughs> and so I'm going to change it around a little bit. And I'm going to focus first on hindrances to closeness. So that if you look at the chart... Uh, that I've given you, which is an inverted pyramid. Uh, and that is the area that I'm going to focus on, but I'm going to focus on particular areas. It's obvious that we're not going to be able to cover that entire area or all of those things together. And those are all only some of the hindrances to closeness in a marriage. Uh, I put it as an inverted pyramid because uh, there are so many different areas <clears throat> as a counselor, as a professor, as a pastor that uh, I have covered in the past. 
and uh, that I have worked with individuals in working through certain areas. And it depends on where they are as to where I enter into the pyramid. But I put the pyramid inverted because the inversion is not uh, prioritized in descending order until you get to the um, uh, bottom three. Those are prioritized. And I left the last one blank because I was going to point out that there are two main hindrances to um, closeness. And then I'm going to reduce it down to one. In philosophy, it's called reductionism. And so we're going to reduce it to one. The pre-Socratics tried to reduce everything to one main explanation of the universe. I've reduced this to one main explanation for uh, hindrances in a marriage relationship. And so we'll get there. The thing is, um, there are uh, two main problems that we will reduce it to. And then we come to uh, the single one. Uh, my temptation, of course, is to explain everything here because they're all relevant and they're all important. Like I had a couple recently uh, that I'm seeing and I told them what the problem was. By the way, I'm 73. I have been counseling professionally for 20 years. I was a pastor for about 30 years. I've been married. For, I'm working on my 50th year. Uh, I taught at Beeson Divinity School in marriage and uh, family counseling for 18 years. And so I am reducing a course of 47 hours into now 10 minutes. <laughs> Um, and so with that type of perspective and with the couples that I've talked to, I'm trying to give you, and I'm going to reduce it down to the most salient feature. Uh, Proverbs says that a wise man keeps silent. So I'm going to be as brief and as silent as possible. It's like this uh, young girl who texted me recently um, since I, I used to have two secretaries and an accountant who did all of my stuff. Now people call me. So she texted me. She was in a crisis and she went through this long text, okay, of this crisis that's going on and this conflict that she was having. And I wrote back, <laughs> I wrote back just one word. Guess what it was? No. (laughs) I rode back. Wait. Okay. I had another similar one that also texted me. I rode back to her. Um, uh, Some short answer. She texted me back. She said, That's it? So, uh, the point is that we're going to, um, I'm t- going to be as brief as possible. 
uh, with everything else that I would like to say that I'm not going to talk about. Uh, but I'm showing you the things that I'm not going to talk about that I really need to talk about in order to talk about hindrances in marriage. And it depends on where you are that we would focus on that particular area. Uh, whether there is a very, very important question that you need to ask first. And um, I don't object if you tell me when it's time to finish this part. Okay? Uh, I told my wife that. I don't mind being reminded anymore. It used to bother me. She would remind me of stuff. You need to do this. Take out the garbage. Blah, blah, blah. This kind of stuff. Now I'm thankful. If somebody will remind me to do something. Okay? So you just remind me and we'll shift gears. Um, what I wanted to say was there is one uh, a vital aspect for uh, that is a hindrance to closeness as a prelude to this whole issue, and that is whether or not you really want to be close to this person. Because there are some people who want to be close, but who cannot. They cannot because of their own personal reasons or personal defects that exist in their lives, and they can't get there. So, and there are some people who do not want to be close, and so they're content to have a business relationship or a semi-cordial relationship, but they are like two windshield wipers that work, but they never touch. They just work, and so they go through life together, and they never really get there. So, plus the fact that there are some people uh, in a marriage relationship who um, some couples who just don't like each other and because the person that you marry which I'll go ahead and jump ahead the person you marry is never the person that you marry okay you don't marry that I mean I hear all the time oh he's changed he's not the person that I married of course not Okay, he was a fool and you were a fool. You went when you fell in love, you became stupid. Okay, and therefore you married something that did not exist. You married some template that was created a long, long time ago in his history, in your history. And when you get married, you know how long it takes to fall in love? Hey, you've been in my class. It takes 35 seconds. Yes. You know how long it lasts? Ah! <laughs> how long does it last? How long does this falling in love last? It lasts no longer than... Three weeks. Certainly not longer than three months and certainly not longer than three years. The wheels are going to fall off. And you're going to realize, what have I done? I was better off. This is not the person. 
I know marriages that fell apart on the honeymoon as they were waiting to go up to the honeymoon suite and they were standing in the lobby of the hotel about to get on the elevator to have this wonderful time. And he turned to her and he said something so degrading. She spent the first night in the tub by herself. I said, when he said that in front of the elevator, why didn't you just walk away? That's a whole other issue. All right. Here you go. We're just about done with this piece, aren't we? You see how many things that we need to talk about? Isn't this exciting to know? It's exciting to know that we can reduce it down. The things that I I was going to mention, and I'll just mention them quickly... And that is the first starting with the top row, addiction and substance. If there is addiction going on, and whether or not it's substance abuse, whether or not it's alcohol abuse, whether or not it's uh, prescription meds, whether or not it's sex addiction, whether or not it's porn addiction. When I'm working with, in, uh, with couples and I find that any kind of addiction is percolating, I'm going to stop the uh, counseling process and I'm going to work with the addiction. There's no point in trying to uh, encourage couples to get together, move toward closeness if addiction is present. It's not going to happen because the person who is addicted has only one interest and that is their addiction. You are not their friend. Their addiction is their closest friend and they will do anything to act out with their addiction. So there's no point. If that's present, it's not going to happen. Row six, uh, the marital pyramid I put on your sheet. Uh, The seven principles, that's the yellow piece that I gave you. You can have a look at that. I'm not going to go over it. The next row down, selected text. There are ones that I would particularly emphasize um, that are good, but all of them are really good. Row five, the uh, what it says, zero to twenty-four triple S. <laughs> I know you don't know what that is, but that is an algorithm where I um, have developed a piece where you sh- where I show that from birth to uh, six years old there are three basic needs and four tasks. I'm also a psychologist, by the way. Uh, with three basic needs and four tasks that a child has to meet before they're six, and then they repeat it three times, and then in a marriage relationship, it's still repeated. But the template that you develop of yourself by the time you're six is the one you carry into your relationship in marriage, and that's what you're demanding in your marriage. So basically, you transfer how you, what you expect to happen by age six into your marriage relationship. That's the zero to 24, and it's uh, intimacy versus isolation usually takes place between 18 and 24 years of age. Uh, partner versus partner. Uh, this has to do with how couples treat, them, uh, treat one another, and, um, and I put 
uh, versus because couples typically become uh, competitive in their relationship. Who's going to win? Who's going to be in control? And frankly, the control issue is established very early in a marriage relationship. One partner, I know that we have the partnership issue. I do not believe partnerships are 100% possible. And I think there's going to take a lot of compromising, but I do think one partner tends to rise to dominance in the relationship. And it depends on whether or not the other one is willing. That is a hindrance in a marriage relationship. And so that brings us to number one. And number one is actually carried through all the others that exist here. And do you know what number one uh, issue and hindrance to marriage is? The self. Okay. I had a, a couple come to see me not too long ago. And uh, he was a pastor, actually. And um, he was telling me, He's an ENFP. Do y'all know what Myers-Briggs stuff is? Anyway, he was the ENFP, which is normally what girls are. So he was basically the girl in the relationship, and she was the man. Uh, She was the the ISTJ, and he wanted closeness. I wanted closeness. I want to be able to touch, romance, blah, blah, that kind of stuff. And which is good. And, um, and then I told him, I said, you know, Capos, being my age, I know that I'm probably not going to see people forever. Do you know what I mean? So what I used to be in all of my empathy and carefulness and taking a lot of time Sometimes I go for the jugular. (laughs) And I probably do it too fast. Okay? I said to him, Pastor, if you're not the problem, there is no solution. He did not like that. He did not come back. But I'm 73. And I don't care. Okay? But you know what? I'm waiting. Some people need, if they do not, if they're so proud, they cannot hear, then the need is to become humbled and to clean up their side of the street first. And then they can begin to have closeness. He was demanding something of her that she could not give in the relationship. (laughs) If that wasn't a general, a shotgun blast, I don't know what was. Anyway, I'm supposed to shift gears and give you a homily on Ephesians um, Ephesians 5, and I'll I'll only say a few words about that, and I'll let you ask questions. Ephesians 5 talks about the marriage dynamic, the marriage relationship, uh, and it starts in verse 21. It was interesting that Gil wanted to do uh, 21 through 33 because 
many texts actually stop the division at verse 21 from what preceded, and then it starts a new section with verse 22. Um, but if you look at the context for this whole passage, uh, verse 21 says this, Submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of God. And you know, 5, uh, 22 through 33 goes through the, uh, what a husband is supposed to do, what a wife is supposed to do, what children or slaves and servants are supposed to do. And, um, but 21 concludes what has gone before and then it introduces what is going to follow. Uh, submission, like wives, husbands, uh, children, servants. But my emphasis, because everybody who's coming in is going to comment on this text. My emphasis is on verse 21, and that is the introduction. Submit yourselves to one another um, uh, because that is the core issue of what this means. This passage of Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands and see that your respect has is one of the most abused and misunderstood passages of Scripture, I believe, that uh, where attempts have been to explain it. And the faulty explanation has resulted in an attitude of superior versus inferior, smart versus dense, the head leader versus the helpless follower, the strong character versus the weak character, the main person versus the footnote and the addendum in the relationship. And from a psychological standpoint, we have a uh, diagnosis, and that is a narcissistic personality disorder, which is the person who demands everything their way and they're the chief and therefore you follow, but the other person who actually enables it. And that is the person who is the codependent or in a psychological diagnosis is called borderline personality disorder. Okay, like fatal attraction. All right. So... The point is here, submitting to one another is the key to um, this entire passage. Uh, there's a lot that I could say here in introduction to get the context because what Paul says in this section beginning in uh, chapter 4, uh, he says four things and he's talking about walking in the Christian life. The walk is... 4-1, walk in unity. 5-1, walk in love. 5-8, walk in the light. 5-25 is walk in wisdom. And the conclusion is what he says in 5-18, he says, be filled with the Spirit. So that the conclusion of walking in the light of the gospel is to be filled with the Spirit. And if you're filled with the Spirit, then you're going to have this dynamic taking place in your marriage relationship, and that is you're going to submit to one another. What does that mean? Other texts translate it different ways. It does not mean obey. What it does mean is that you fit into the plans and the needs of somebody else so that your own personal interests become 
uh, secondary to the interests and desires of somebody else if that is consistent with God's will. Okay? And so, uh, that is the core of what this means. And I could say a whole lot more about this, but I'll just use as an illustration uh, the way that the men... I took a, a mission group, and I've taken some people here in um, Advent with me. I go to Ukraine. I started a counseling center in Odessa. About 10 years ago, we go over, we do training with the uh, counselors. Now we've been visiting a refugee camp and a hospital. I went to a hospital, military hospital in Ukraine. Ukrainians who are fighting the Russians. And there are five men that I visited. Uh, and I had a female translator. We all sat in a circle. And I didn't know I was going to do this, but we sat down and started talking. These men were so discouraged. Discouraged with the military. Discouraged with their uh, generals. Discouraged with the young men. Because these are old men. Old men who are fighting a battle are in their 40s. Men who are fighting are not in their 40s. They're, eight, they're 19 and 20. And so they were so discouraged. But what they said. They had one of their best friends. Which we were talking about. Their grief and their trauma. And uh, they said one of their best friends, he was at the top of the parapet of the um, tank and a missile came and poof. The only thing they found of him was his shoulder blade. And so they were dealing with this level of grief. But what they did say with all their discouragement is, we, the reason that we're in this is that we stand for each other and we protect each other, and we're committed to each other, and uh, we will defend each other. To me, it's sort of like a mirror of marriage. Okay, There are a lot of core issues that we could talk about, like the core issue of fear. If a person is afraid or is angry, I'm always, I always want to know what they're afraid of. And usually, that becomes a gender issue, if not a developmental issue. They're afraid of the closeness to start with. So they won't go there. I think it was Thucydides um, who said, Surely the brave are those with the clearest vision who the clearest vision of, of glory and danger alike and go out to meet it. Marriage, it takes a lot of courage to be a selfless person and to get rid of your fears in a marriage to be willing to move toward closeness in a relationship. I know that I've been all over the board. Do you have anything you'd like to say? Any questions? Anything that you want to tweak from what we've talked about uh, on the sheet? Obviously, it's going to take 46 hours. Okay? But if you have anything, any observation you'd like to make or any question that you would like to bring up. Yes? What do you tell couples who are paralyzed in this competition of submission? They're both trying to submit to 
whatever you want and whatever you want, and they can't actually make a decision? That's a good question. Um, I have a, um, I actually use a practical decision algorithm where they go through uh, six steps. I know we don't have time to go into it, but they explore all the ins and outs, and usually there's a reason why they're in that, because it's kind of like two, have you ever seen two very, very old women? I'm sorry. Older ladies. Uh, where they try to out-nice each other. Okay? And sometimes Christians fall into that and they don't realize it's okay to have your opinion and to say it for crying out loud. But there, there are six steps that I help a couple go through to make a decision about something. And sometimes, and it's usually going to end up as a compromise. And we would say, well, is it likely that either one of you are either going to get your way or uh, exploring if this other person gets their way, they make the decision, then I try everything for 21 days. I find that usually 21 days is a good trial period for anything, whether it's adults or children. So basically, I'll do a contract. And if it doesn't work, we come back to the board and we evaluate another alternative that might work. Sometimes there's one solution, sometimes there are two solutions. But there is a way through it where they're not just stuck. And I think on the flip side, it's a misunderstanding, I think, of Christianity. Um, uh, however, at least it's a noble attempt. Because I think in many marriages, the block to closeness is the gospel is irrelevant. Christ has been so domesticated, either in our churches or in our own lives, that we believe certain things that may be orthodox and true, but they have not changed us. Where, is the, where are the Beatitudes in the life of a couple over the next 24 hours? Try it. Try to put the Beatitudes into practice for 24 hours and to see if that works. That's doing something. Good question. Thank you. Anything else? What about couples that don't want, like you said, you have to want that? How do you address that? If, if they don't want to make it work or they don't want, you know, do you, do you, you know, I don't know. I mean, how do you, where do you start, I guess, with that? Um, what would you say to that couple that doesn't want it? They have to want it to make it work? That way. Yeah, I wouldn't work with somebody who doesn't want. Okay. I mean, I'll just say, well, won't you come back when you want to make it work? But what's going to make them want, want to make it work is normally a crisis. When we are in the ditch... It's like Jesus on the Mount of Olives when he was desperate. The disciples weren't desperate. They're watching. They go to sleep. Um, Ortiz said uh, the only original ideas are those of the desperate. So when a couple becomes desperate, then they're ready to change. When they're ready to change, 
then that's perfect. But there's no point in trying to change somebody who doesn't want to be changed. So that means there are four levels of change, by the way, that we haven't talked about. But there's nothing, if they don't want to be close, I would, if I were working with them, frankly, I would meet with them individually and find out what's going on okay, in the relationship. Uh, like I had a, a couple, uh, the husband was a doctor. He had had five affairs. Um, and she... Uh, she was the most repressed person I've ever found, ever met. She was just kind of sitting there like a lock. Okay? And I said, you know, oh, how do you feel? I'm shaking the tree, trying to find out what's going on, just to get some emotion from this person. So finally, she sits there. Okay? She's left-handed. She's on this side. He's sitting on this side. So finally, I'm shaking the tree. What's it like to be betrayed five times by that? I sometimes cuss, okay? <laughs> by that. Mm-hmm. And uh, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, she comes across. Okay? He catches her hand. I don't allow violence in my <laughs> counseling. But she, he catches her hand. Do you know what I did? Okay, he got there. I had this woman who came, and this is recent, young woman. She's in, she's complaining about how dead and unemotional her husband is, and he doesn't express himself. Well, I had them do a communication exercise, and they came back, and now she's complaining. She doesn't like what he says. (laughs) So now she's mad at him because he's actually saying what he feels. So you can't do a lot with somebody who doesn't want to change. Okay? I do have some other pieces. I know that we don't, we're running out of time with this, right? We go to about uh, 10 till or a little after. Okay. Well, there is a piece, uh, there was a research done by a psychologist called, and this is important, Miller and Dollard. I wish I could draw it up here. They um, tested some rats. Okay? And um, there was a timeline across uh, the Miller, huh? I said my watch is my watch is slow. Um, it's actually time for the parents to go and get their their children. <laughs> Goodbye, parents. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Langston. Good to see you. It was my pleasure. It's good to see you again. Good to see you too. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thank you.